Okay, so today what I wanted to talk about was what God says about suffering um, in the Bible. Um, and um, basically I know that Christians and non-believers a lot of the time ask themselves, how can a loving God allow suffering in the world? Why am I suffering? Why is he allowing me to go through these things? If God is real, why isn't he here for me? Why hasn't he done anything? Etc., etc. You know, we do see miracles happening in our lives, but there are times when we feel downhearted about it and we need to ask questions about it. And certainly for non-believers, as I say, a lot of people look at some of the things that happen in life, things like children having illnesses and awful things happening, car crashes, all that sort of thing, really tragic events. And it's kind of, I just wanted to kind of give some sort of explanation as to why this happens in a, in a biblical way. So I'll just run through. I'm going to actually time myself today. So if my timer goes off, it's not my mobile phone going off, it's my timer. And I'm over time. So let's see how we go anyway. So, okay, so why does God allow suffering? Um, well, first of all, what we can tell from the Bible is certainly at the beginning when God made his creation, there was no suffering. And certainly when we hear about heaven in the Bible, um, there is no suffering, there is no illness, um, everything is perfect, there is no death, everything is perfect. So it's, everything started off perfect. So how did suffering come into the world? God's plan was for everything to be perfect. And one of the aspects of his perfection in creation was that he made man in his image. He didn't want us to be like robots, just forced to follow him. He wanted us to have freedom of choice, just as he had freedom of choice. So he gave us freedom of choice. And that, unfortunately, although it's the perfect way to do things, led to some issues because man, in his freedom of choice, chose to go away from God instead of obeying God. He disobeyed God. And Adam, with his original sin, was the one who first did this and brought sin into the world. So, so Romans 5.12 says, Sin entered the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So through Adam's original sin, we are blighted, unfortunately, by his sin. With sin has gone down through generation and generation. Um, because... When God offered his way, man went the other way. And through history, I think you'll agree that collectively, as mankind and even God's chosen people, the Israelites were constantly turning against God and going away from him. When God was just saying, follow me and everything will be great. But nobody listened. So the results of man's way is war, it's poverty, it's disease, it's catastrophe. I mean, I would say 99% of the tragic things that happen in this life have an element of man making them happen. Even most of the diseases we have probably brought about by what we eat or what we do or what we're pumping into the atmosphere. Virtually everything has an element of mankind's uh, badness in it. So if we're responsible, the problem also is that we've constantly ignored God's warnings. I'm talking collectively because God often talks collectively in the Bible about his people going the wrong way and so on. So there may be people who are going God's way, but collectively man is going the other way. And I've used this analogy really um, if you imagine mankind as one person on the, on the shoreline and God is talking to him and, and, and man is making a boat and he wants to go out and he wants to take everybody out to sea and he thinks this is a great idea so all of mankind gets in this boat and God says no I, you shouldn't do that you shouldn't go out in that boat it's going to lead to bad things it's not going to be good you should stay with me follow me and stick with me and you'll be fine but man carries on doing it, of course. Goes out to sea, and the result is that there's death, there's illness, there's awful things happen, and eventually that boat is going to sink, and man is going to crawl back onto the shore, 
And he's going to say, God, why did you let that happen to me? Where were you? Why didn't you do anything? And, and God would say, well, I told you not to go that way. You, if you'd stayed with me, you would have been fine. But mankind, in his way, will continually then go back and try and build a bigger boat and continue to try and go his way and continue to get smashed up on the rocks and continue to make bad decisions that go the opposite direction of God and lead to death and sadness and awful things. And you may say, well, we're Christians, we're following God, so why are these things happening to us? Well, as I say, man is collectively inside that boat. We're in there with everybody else. So even though some people might be going God's way or trying to go God's way, we're still in that ship of mankind where we're going out into troubled waters. We have sin. All of us have sin connected to us. And so we are going to suffer everything that happens in that ship until eventually that ship goes. The great thing for us as Christians is that we have that life jacket of Jesus Christ, which means when our life is ended, we have life. We have life. We have grace. We have a hope to look forward to, um, which is amazing, obviously. Okay, so through, um, through time as well, God has warned his people through calamity. I mean, he, he often sort of brought events upon his people to try and make them realise that, you know, he is God, to try and point them in his direction. Bad things happen to the Israelites. Bad things happen to the, um, the Egyptians. Um, and God, of course, caused the flood, which wiped out virtually all of mankind uh, apart from Noah. You know, that's very harsh. These days, people obviously think of that as being almost like genocide. How can a loving God do that to people? But the counter-argument of that is that if you have... Sin is like a cancer attacking the human race. If you imagine it, it got to such a point at that point where virtually the whole body was infected with sin and mankind was destined for destruction if it carried on that way. God had to reset that. He had to cut out that sin, that illness, and he, he took it away and reset it. And so although that does seem a bad thing, you know, it would have been, is it more loving to allow that cancer to take over the entire body? Well, it's not, obviously. It's more loving to get rid of that and to reset and try and start again. You know, when all else fails, he does raise his voice. And it's clear in Revelation as well that this will happen again, that God will send these warnings, these, these acts, these things will happen, calamity will happen that is intended to make people think, I need to turn to God. It's just whether mankind ever turns to God because mankind is constantly fighting back, unfortunately. Okay. So as I said before, we are very fortunate because we have a greater hope. Um, Because just as Adam's one person's sin brought sin into the world and death into the world, so Jesus Christ, one man who was also fully God, came to take away that sin and that death from us um, by his sacrifice on the cross. And all we need to do is believe. Romans 5.17 says, For if by the trespass of one man, that's Adam again, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So we have this hope. We have this hope of eternity. We have this hope of a perfect world um, which comes when we die and, uh, and are resurrected. So does it mean, does that sentence mean, you know, basically he's going to give us righteousness, he's going to give us grace, he's going to give us life. Does that mean we're not going to die, we're not going to suffer, nothing bad is going to happen to us? Um, Well, let's look at the evidence for and against. 
Um, so Jeremiah 29:11 says, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord, "plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future." Now, does that mean a lot of prosperity preachers would use that to say, "Well, God's got good plans for us. He doesn't want anything bad to happen to us. Everything is going to be fantastic in our lives. We're not going to be ill. Illness was killed on the cross. All that sort of stuff." But does that mean it? Well, first of all, that's from the Old Testament. That was actually intended for the exiles in Babylon. It's not actually a message necessarily for us. But it is true to say that God doesn't have plans to harm us. He doesn't want us to go through awful things. He doesn't want us to be, um, have, an, have an awful life. That, that is certainly sure. But what it's pointing to instead is something slightly different, I think. You just have to look at the evidence. If you look at the evidence in the Bible and you look at God's people, Old Testament and New Testament, but I'll concentrate on the New, you look at Paul, did he have an easy life? Well, he didn't have an easy life, did he? He had a very, very, very hard life. John the Baptist didn't end too well for John the Baptist. Any apostle or disciple, basically, lots of them were martyred. Lots of them went hardship, went through hardship, went to prison. All sorts of awful things happened. So I think it's clear to say that in this life, there may be some struggles along the way for us. Um, So just a bit of proof on that. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So that's not sounding great for our lives. Um, Acts 9.15-16 says, this man, and this is God speaking, um, this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So, yeah, again, (laughs) Paul isn't going to have an easy life, okay? But what he has to look forward to is an amazing inheritance in heaven. And he knew that, and God knew that, obviously. Um, So generally proclaiming God's word is never going to be easy. Matthew 7, 14 says, Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Um, So clearly God's life and grace that he's talking about in that verse before is not a worldly life. It's talking about something else. Okay, so we can choose, as, as, as I was just talking about, I was talking about small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. We can choose that narrow path, which is kind of probably likely to be a little bit more difficult, or we can choose the wide, easy path to destruction. Uh, Romans 1.24 says, So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. So there is a point where if we are wanting riches, if we are wanting sinful things in our lives, God will at some point give us over to that. Um, he will give people over to those desires if necessary. Um, but we can instead choose the narrow, harder path to eternal life. Um, Proverbs 3.12 says, For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. I mean, I don't know about you, but a good father, a good parent, a good mother is somebody who will not let their kids get away with absolutely everything or go their own way or make their own decisions all the time. A good parent is somebody who corrects them and guides them and moves them on the right path that is good for them rather than necessarily what they want. He gives them what they need. Does correction mean that God is punishing me because I'm a bad Christian? Um, Well, no, because refinement is not to punish. You know, tough love sometimes keeps us on track. So sometimes the suffering we go through is for a reason. The Israelites certainly needed to push in the right direction at times. And um, certainly lots of biblical people did also. If you remember the story of Jonah, he was literally, he was shipwrecked. He was literally vomited up on a beach by a fish. And that was God's way of making him go through suffering to put him exactly where he needed to be. If God hadn't done that, 
he wouldn't have gone to where he needed to be. So this can happen to us in our lives as well in terms of God will put us through things that will get us to where we need to be. Joseph is another example, a foreshadowing of Jesus. Joseph, Joseph was put where he needed to be to save people, but he was put there via a very, very difficult journey. Um, he was put there via, he got to where he needed to be via being thrown into a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery and wrongly imprisoned. And while that's a couple of verses in the Bible, if you can think about the, num- the amount of time that he spent and would have spent in absolute you know, feeling, where are you, God? Why are you doing this to me? Why have I been thrown into a pit? Why have I been sold into slavery? He would have gone through incredible suffering and hardship. But he also understood that this happened for a reason, and it happened for the reason that he could save many when he got a high position in Egypt. Genesis 45.5 says, he's talking to his brothers here who'd thrown him into that pit in the first place, and he says, now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, So God sent me here to preserve life. So Joseph understood that God had this reason for those bad things to happen. It was all in God's plan, as hard as it would have been for him at the time. Correction for us is also important because there are no second chances. If God was to allow us to make bad decisions in our lives and go the wrong way without having us go through suffering, we wouldn't be where we need to be. And we could go off track and go into a sort of awful place in our lives and lose, you know, and, and salvation wouldn't be there for us. We might not have become Christians. Um, and suffering gets us to the right place. I mean, I imagine quite a lot of people in here are only here because of suffering they had earlier in their lives. I don't know. I think quite a few of us will have been brought to our knees by God and decided finally that we need God. God got us here and has people in the place that they're supposed to be and he takes them on a journey and it might sometimes be a hard journey. So does that mean if God is correcting us by suffering, does that mean that if I'm not suffering, if I'm having an easy life, does that mean I'm a really good Christian and that means that I'm better than everyone else? Um, And equally, if I'm going through suffering, does that mean I lack faith? Does that mean that I've got hidden sin? Does that mean all sorts of awful things, you know? What, how do I need to take that? Well, well, no, um, is, the, uh, is the answer to that. It doesn't mean that at all. And uh, we know that um, through the story of Job and through many stories in the Bible, to be honest, about good people doing good things. The other thing I need to clarify at the moment, of course, is that nobody anyway is perfect in God's eyes. So there's no way we can work our way to um, a lack of illness. There's no way we can wash away our sins without Jesus. Um, but Job... He is described by God in Job 1.8 as God says, There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So clearly, Job is, in God's eyes, a good person. Okay? I've seen recently some examples of people saying that Job was self-righteous. Well, there's no, there's no <laughs> evidence whatsoever in the Bible to say that Job was self-righteous. God himself says he is blameless and upright a man who fears God and shuns evil. So clearly, what happened to Job, if you you remember the story of Job, Job had everything. He had everything that anyone could want. He was blessed in every way, but he lost everything. He lost his family, he lost his house, he lost his riches, um, he lost his health. Everything he had was taken away from him. Um, And now, was that because he was bad? Was that because he had hidden sin? According to God, no, it wasn't. Um, God clearly says that there was nothing wrong with Job in terms of his faith um, and in terms of his his sin, um, any more than there is of any one of us. 
Um, but Job understood this as well. Job says in Job 1.21, he said, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So even though he was going through this hardship, Job also understood that it was within God's right, because God had given him everything he had, it was in, within God's remit to say, I'm going to take that away from you. And even though that was hard for him to accept, Job accepted and still praised the Lord, showing, actually, his amazing level of faith by the way that he, he acted, even though things were going wrong for him in his life. Now, Job had some friends who were supposed to be comforting him and supposed to be making him feel better about how his life was going. Um, but in actual fact, what they did was to tell him that, oh, this is because you've sinned, this is because you're not, you haven't got enough faith, this is because you've been shouting at God and, and bemoaning your situation. And they gave him all sorts of reasons why he was doing things wrong and that's why bad things were happening to him. But in fact, God then turns up and tells them, no, this isn't the case. This is not the case at all. It's just the case that God sometimes gives and takes away and that bad things sometimes happen to good people. Good things happen to good people and vice versa. You know, there's no, sometimes there's no rhyme and reason to what happens. It, it just happens. We know this through um, Luke 13 as well which reads, um, Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. So Jesus is just explaining there that it's nothing to do with whether they're bad sinners or good sinners. We're all sinners. So there's no difference, quite frankly. So, from the story of Job, is it okay to cry out to God? What do we learn from it, from that? Well, one of the reasons that Job's friends chastised him was because he was, he was shouting out to God and they were saying, how dare you do that to God? How dare you say that to God? Um, but God understood. Um, and um, we can see in, throughout the Bible that very, very obedient, faithful men of God cried out to God um, at certain times in their lives. Even Jesus cried out to God and asked why he'd been forsaken. As uh, the Son of God, he's fully God, and yet he cried out because at a certain point, when he was being crucified, he couldn't see, he couldn't see the evidence of God there, even though God was with him. Um, and that was also a fulfillment of what King David said in Psalm 22. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Um, so, yeah, even the most obedient people in the Bible cried out to God because things weren't, were, were, were awful for them. And in a way, this crying out to God, when we cry out to God, when we ask him for help, when we ask him where he is, when we get down on our knees and say, I can't take any more of this, we're actually showing faith because rather than abandoning God and moving away from him because he hasn't acted in our lives, we go back to him and he's brought us to our knees. And I think that shows faith in a lot of ways. Um, and while, you know, we shouldn't make a habit of... of shouting to God, I think, you know, God does understand, absolutely. So what, but why does it seem then that sometimes he's not around? Why does he seem that he's forsaken us? Why does that happen? Why can't he just be there all the time? Why can't things go smoothly? Um, and stuff like that. Well, clearly it's not from lack of love. Um, you know, sometimes it can be impossible to know why things happen to us. Sometimes there are really unexplainable awfulness that happens to people in their lives. But what is clear is that God is there and that he's listening, and that he knows us better than we know ourselves. You know, the, the verse, God so loved the world, he loves us. He loves us and he knows us. And um, also there's all, all sorts of um, 
of verses which tell us that as well. Um, Psalm 56, 8 says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. And Luke 12, 7 says, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So God loves us, okay? And he knows us and he knows exactly what we need. But is it because he doesn't empathise with us? Is it because he doesn't understand what we're going through? Well, definitely not, because God has certainly suffered himself. Um, God suffered when the angels rebelled, first of all. He suffered when man chose Satan over him. And he's seen us continually mess up his creation, walk away from him, mock him. Mankind continues to do that, continues to destroy his world. How heartbreaking must that be? And not only that, but he came as... uh, through Jesus, fully God, fully man, to experience our lives and to go through the temptations we go through, to go through our suffering, and to be perfectly honest, to suffer more than 99.9% of mankind ever will. So God definitely understands our suffering. Matthew 6, 8 says, For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So, if he knows this, again, much like does he love us, you know, why does he allow us to go through this? Why does he allow this to happen? Um, and, um, and why sometimes do we see that, see that some healings happen, some miracles happen, and others don't? Well, there's no sort of black and white answers on this, unfortunately, because, as I say, some things seem unexplainable. Some things only God understands. Um, and as we learned through the story of Job, sometimes things just happen to people, and through that story of the Galileans, some things just happen. Um, and they're kind of unexplainable. Um, But sometimes what we're praying for might not be, we might be praying for something we want, but it might not necessarily be what we need in our lives. God knows us better than we know ourselves, as we learn in the Bible. So sometimes we might not be praying for the right thing. That doesn't mean we can't pray for things we want. Um, We can, and sometimes we'll get answers to those prayers, but basically we'll get answers when it lines up with what God's plan is, what God's greater plan is for our lives. Sometimes what we want, even if we think it's good, even if it's something to do with ministry, even if it's something we want to do for God's kingdom, just doesn't line up with God's will. You know, a perfect example, obviously, for that, the best example would be Jesus' prayer in the garden. Jesus said, please take this cup away from me to his father, because he knew the pain and hardship he was going to go through. But God didn't take the cup away from him. Jesus also said, of course, let your will be done. And God's will which was a greater plan, was unfortunately that Jesus was going to go through that suffering. He was going to go through awful suffering and he was going to die on the cross. That was God's plan for him. And in Jesus' physical life, obviously, that was awful and that was painful and that was excruciating for him. But God knew the greater achievement and the greater path. And he knew that this had to be done, first of all, to save mankind, which is a pretty amazing thing, but also to raise Jesus up to his right-hand side. So for Jesus... While the journey was awful and it wasn't what he wanted, it was what was needed and what eventually led to his glorification. I had a friend as well who um, had great plans. He was quite early in his Christian journey, but he had great plans to do great things for the kingdom and to have a great ministry and to do wonderful things. And then he got a terminal illness and it wasn't cured and he died soon after. Now that obviously is incredibly tragic for his family. It's incredibly tragic for him. It's hard to understand why would God not use him in his life for all the good things he had planned for God's kingdom. Why did he take him from this world? Um, And I think it's kind of similar to, you know, what I was just talking about with Jesus. 
The only explanation I can give is that I saw when he was suffering and through his illness, the effect he had on everybody who saw him, who saw his faith, and saw him shining that light of God out, even through the most excruciating situation you can have in your life, and the way he shined out faith through his wife and his family, you know, and his wife still believing and still having faith, that gave such glorification to God, that even though that doesn't take away their, hard, their mourning or anything like that, and it's not going to make things any better for them, you know, God was glorified through that situation, and I think many people will have seen that, and probably be moved towards God through it, possibly been, I don't know, but possibly found salvation through it. Maybe people have been saved through his story. What I do know is that the Bible tells us that we live to glorify God. And so, however hard our lives can be, if we glorify God through it, we're doing our jobs. And of course, the other thing that I can say is, is although it's not a consolation for everybody who's here, the great consolation is, though healing didn't come to him in a physical way, my friend was healed far before that when he became a follower of Christ. And um, that is amazing. And we have to take that into account whenever we see suffering in this world. The greater healing has been already been accomplished and we should, be, we should recognize that. You know, sometimes our waiting then is to demonstrate the glory of God. Um, and we can see that in this example um, from, from Jesus. We can see it throughout the Bible, in fact. If you look at Daniel, the story of Daniel, Daniel escaped from the lion's den. But he escaped from the lion den, lion's den because God put him in the lion's den. God, God made him go through a tough situation before he, so he could glorify God. He was put in that tough situation so he could glorify God. Joseph was put in his tough situation so eventually he could glorify God and save people. Um, John, 3, uh, sorry, John 9, 1 to 3 says, this is Jesus here, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. So first of all, this backs up what I'm saying about sin, not, sin hidden sin not being anything to do with people being um, ill or suffering. But secondly, what's interesting about this is that the blind man has been blind throughout his life. Okay? Why was he born blind? He was born blind for that one moment in his life. So he suffered for 30 years for that one moment when he would meet Jesus and Jesus would heal him in front of people. You know, so when we're going through suffering, you think God has used this man to, sh- to bring his glory. And although, again, that suffering will have been awful for the blind man through those years of his life, eventually that blind man was healed. Eventually that, man, that blind man will see heaven. And if you think about it, his story, his life, has now been recounted and retold millions of times to millions of people. It inspired the people who saw this miracle happen, but it then inspired us by this miracle because it adds to our faith and it brings us to God. And so his life was so amazing for us, even though it was full of suffering when he was blind for all those years, he eventually was healed spiritually and physically as well. Of course, we also in our lives can act in that role. We have a responsibility in our lives to almost take on what Jesus did. Jesus is obviously an example to us of the compassion we should show people. Though we may not be able to necessarily, I do believe in miracles, but though we may not be able to heal somebody of blindness ourselves, and we might not have that gift, 
I, I don't think that necessarily, I believe miracles are for today, but I don't necessarily mean that we're going to be performing those miracles that Jesus performed. But what we can do is we can reach out and show compassion to people who are sick, people who are suffering. We can reach out, we can show the love of God through our compassion and through our, our caring for them. And we can also show the love of God in the way that we deal with our own sickness and, and hardship. Um, so, let, you know, let's do that. Yes, let's live our lives with compassion, with generosity. Let's not show judgment to fellow Christians. Let's not fall into that trap of thinking, you know, oh, that person is suffering because of hidden sin or lack of faith. Let's not, um, you know, let's just show genuine love for people and let's be set, a, set apart by showing the glory of God in our lives. Um, you know, I do believe that God answers prayer. I do believe that we should pray for miracles. I do believe miracles happen. But sometimes if they don't come, I think it's important for us to remember that the harder miracle is sometimes, um, is sometimes the more difficult one. Um, if you remember the story of the paralyzed man in Matthew 9, 5, Jesus said, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? You know, the people obviously like a glitzy, exciting miracle. You want to see the paralyzed man get up off his bed and walk. Of course we do, because it's, it, it amazes us. But Jesus is reminding us there that actually the greater thing that he did in that moment was to forgive that man's sin. That was the big miracle. And as Christians, we believe in eternity. And if we believe in eternity, surely we must put that eternal promise and that eternal healing and the fact that all of us have been healed and have eternal life through our belief in Jesus. We should put that ahead of any physical healing, even though, obviously, it's very hard, and it's going to be hard in our lives to, to accept that when we're going through awful times. I do know that, certainly, when I hear people's testimonies, the people's testimonies that are most impactful are usually those people who've gone through incredibly hard times in their lives. So, as I say, God uses our suffering to sometimes to, to glorify him. Does that mean we shouldn't mourn? Um, is it okay to sort of hold on to suffering? Um, well, you know, the Bible does say we should lay our burdens at the foot of the cross. Um, we should be able, we, the Bible also says we can overcome anything in our lives, that God is with us. And of course, if the God of the universe is with us, we can overcome anything. Having said that, we shouldn't question somebody's right to mourn. We shouldn't question somebody's right to suffer. We're human beings, we're, we have hard times. We should be able to suffer. It shouldn't be something that we say is a lack of faith or anything like that. People should be allowed to suffer. However, we shouldn't wallow in, in that. We have been saved. That greater miracle has occurred. So we should also be willing to let go. Sometimes it's actually hard to let go of our suffering. Some, sometimes it's the harder thing to say, because... The devil is constantly trying to lie to us and keep us in chains and to keep us away from where we need to be. And sometimes we, you know, we do have the ability to give up some of that suffering and to take that burden away because, and lay our burdens at the foot of the cross because God is there and has said we can do it. We can do it. So, though we shouldn't wallow in it, we must, we need to understand that we're overcomers, but we shouldn't question somebody's right to mourn. Um, and we should be careful when we talk to people after they've been bereaved or if they're suffering that we don't discourage them in our words by telling them, oh, you've got a greater gift in heaven because although that's true, although that's fantastic and that's the Christian thing to say, sometimes we also need to show the compassion of understanding somebody's situation as well. Um, but there is so much that we can be encouraged by. 
uh, and, and really Romans um, 8, 18, these are wonderful verses. Um, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And Revelation uh, 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And that's talking about heaven. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more illness. So whatever we go through in this life, we have that to look forward to, which is, I think, obviously incredibly encouraging. And just to end, um, you know, if we truly believe that we have eternity through Jesus Christ, then even though what we go through in our lives is incredibly hard, even though I can't comprehend how awful things must be for people who've lost a child, for people who've lost a loved one, you can't, you just can't make up for that. But what we can say is that we need to view this suffering in our lives. If we can, we need to tell ourselves that this is a drop in the ocean, literally a drop in the ocean of eternity. God tells us our lives are a vapour and they are compared to eternity. I don't know if, about you, but it's hard for me to imagine eternal life, nothing ever ending. You know, but that's what we have to look forward to. Our lives, as I'm sure you all know, certainly my life seems to go very quickly. And it is. Life is very quick. Life is very quick. So don't lose heart. Know that there are Christians all around the world who've probably actually gone through worse than us. There's people who have been martyred in the countries, people who aren't allowed to um, worship God even um, in freedom because of fear of being persecuted. People who are persecuted every day. Um, So let's just remind ourselves of this. So 2 Corinthians uh, 4, 16 to 18 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, that is our lives, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, that is they pass away quickly, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So let's just remind ourselves of that. Let's remind us of the riches that God has in store for us in heaven. The riches he talks about in the Bible, they're not about riches in our lives. And we shouldn't be seeking those riches in our lives. Sure, we should be seeking to, to, you know, to have something to eat and, to be, you know, and, and not to be destitute and hungry. But we shouldn't be seeking worldly riches. We shouldn't be seeking worldly prosperity. Because God has given us a much greater prosperity and that prosperity comes in eternity and it's eternal rather than our lives, which will end um, at, at some point for everybody on this earth. So, yeah, that's my message for today. I hope you feel encouraged. Um, I hope that you do. Uh, that does help you in some way, even if my ramblings, maybe something hasn't sort of hit home. Hopefully something else has. Um, and I hope you go home encouraged and understanding sort of suffering with new eyes.